This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. And I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in. And all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort, and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Now, let's get a cup of tea and spend a few minutes together. Here's your host, wife, mother of three, and entrepreneur, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of the Crystal Pain Show. I am so excited that you are joining me and my new co-host, Jesse. Hello, Jesse. Hello. <laughs> um, we are going to be talking all about digital minimalism and deep work with Cal Newport today, later on in the show. And I thought it was funny as I was prepping for the show, I realized that I have actually brought an app the last two weeks for the What's Saving My Life feature, which is funny because I am not an app person, really. When nope. you say, Jesse, nope, nope. <laughs> my phone looks pretty minimalistic. Bear. I do bare. Yeah. I I don't like to have a lot going on there because I like to keep it streamlined and clean. Yeah, you delete anytime you upload an app, you have to delete one. It drives me nuts. because I need to have the same number of apps. I can't have a an app all by itself in a row. That's just wrong. Why? It just looks weird. It makes me feel like my life is out of order. Please, someone tell me I'm not the only person that has to have an equal number of apps in every row. You can't have a row. Why don't you alphabetize in the folders too? I, I'm not going <laughs> to. I don't have enough. I don't have enough apps to alphabetize folders. I don't need. You don't really need folders. I do have an extras folder. Anyway, we're going to be talking about how to really be wise in your use of social media. Cal Newport actually doesn't have social media, which is pretty crazy in this day and age. And he's going to share some great insights on how do we approach this in our everyday life? How do we find the balance between using social media and the internet for good without it taking over our life? But 
for the woman who doesn't like apps, it's just funny that leading up to his interview, I would talk about apps for the past two weeks for what's saving my life because I talked about the mileage app, the mileage tracker app, and then the My Hormonology app, which is still totally saving our life. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. But here's the deal, though, with those two apps, they're very user-friendly and usable. I mean, they do a job that you want to have done that saves you time and gives you information. It's not like it's a time waster. Makes my life easier. I guess my hormonology just It makes my life easier. Makes your life easier. All right. So I'm not bringing an app today because I have very few apps to bring. And today I'm going to be talking about my water cup, my tin, tin, cannot talk, my Contigo water cup. I think that's how you pronounce it. Contigo. I actually have it right here. And if you are ever with me anywhere, pretty much, unless it's someplace that you're not allowed to take water into, I will have this water cup with me. It's more, I don't know, Jesse, what would you say? A tumbler? What is it? What, what, what do we call this? Uh-huh. Yeah. Kind of like a tumbler slash water bottle kind of thing. It's got a screw on lid with a straw going down the middle of it. And I love that it has like if the straw comes out or it tips over, it's not going to spill. It's the spill proof. It's got a valve on the inside of it. Yes. Well, and what this cup does for me, how it's saving my life and why I'm bringing it for this, what's saving my life part of the show is because it encourages me to drink more water. It's cute. Mine is purple. I'll put a picture of it um, in the show notes, but I am this weird person who tries to drink a gallon of water every single day. It's something that helps me feel better, have more energy. It helps my overall health and it helps my skin. But having this water cup, I make a gallon of lemon water every day. So I do a gallon of um, the not distilled filtered water. That's what I was looking for. And then I put about 10 teaspoons, eight to 10 teaspoons of lemon juice in it. And then I just drink it throughout the day. And I just take this cup with me wherever I go. And if I'm going to be gone for more than an hour or two, I take the gallon of water with me. I don't bring that gallon in to places, but I leave it in the car. Like a bodybuilder. I'm not going to be like the bodybuilder. (laughs) And actually it looks like a gallon of pee that I'm bringing in because it's lemon water. But This cup just encourages me to drink more water. And so we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And Jesse, did you have something to bring for what's saving your life? Well, one thing that has been saving my life uh, lately is the turmeric pills that I take uh, for inflammatory relief. Sounds like yeah. It sounds like a, that. Sounds like we're getting really old. Inflammatory relief. I am getting old. You know, (sighs) yeah, you're be forty soon. Pushing 40. Yep. What uh, is inflammatory relief? Well, what does just, that mean? Turmeric is supposed to be anti-inflammatory, so it kind of helps joints and any inflammation to be removed from your system. So I have like a, a bad knee. I've had some uh, joint issues on my knee and I found some a little bit more potent turmeric and it took it away. So I was really, really pleased. So it's just one kind of turmeric that you take? A specific kind. Have correct. you tried different kinds? I've tried a couple different kinds. Okay. And you like that one? Yeah. And- I don't know. It's it's just more potent. It's got more human in it, I guess. And it's turmeric, not turmeric, even though that's how it looks on the... Maybe it is turmeric. I don't know. I've, I've heard it pronounced different ways. Does anyone know the official... We could look it up. We could look it up. The official 
pronunciation, if it's turmeric or turmeric, I'm not sure. I've always said turmeric. Maybe that's why I say turmeric, because you say turmeric. <laughs> you got it from me. Um, and then you've also made the turmeric milk. I used to, yeah. Which, that's pretty good, actually. And we bought turmeric when we were in India. In India. And I found it. It's really bulk. inexpensive there. You could get it in bulk. So I bought some, and we probably have enough to last us for, I don't know, another year or two. But anyway, we'll put the link to these the pills the that you take. Ones, and correct. does it say on the bottle how much you should take? Yes, it does. So you just take the recommended dose? Just the recommended dose, yes. Okay. We'll put the link to that in the show notes. Jesse said he does not have a book to bring this week because he's still working on his last week's book. Is that correct? How can you expect me to read more than one book a week? I read That's, five books this past oh, week. Well, actually, I didn't read. I listened That's to five cheating. books. It's not cheating. It's I, I am consuming I consumed five books, but the I one that consume five books, too, but <laughs> eat them. They have a lot of fiber. <laughs> um, the one that I wanted to talk about was the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society. I had actually read this book, the actual book. I didn't just consume it. I actually read it probably eight to 10 years ago. I don't know exactly, but I loved it so much. And typically I don't read a book more than once. I'm just one of those weird people. Once I've seen a movie or read a book once I'm good, I don't need to read or see it again. But this one, I actually watched the movie that came out with the girls. I think it's a Netflix original movie. I I might be misquoting that. I think it is. And so I watched it with the girls. And then once I had watched it, I was like, I don't even remember all the details. Was that according to the book or not? So I went ahead and I got the audio book from the Libby app. You can check that out for free or check the book out for free from the library. I know I talk about You can also check the app out for free, but... (laughs) I have, I have talked about the Livy app almost every single week, but I know that not everybody listens to every podcast. So I got it on there. And what I loved about the audiobook is that it's narrated by multiple voices, which I think makes it a lot that more. That does make it interesting. It I have makes it much to. more interesting. It's very well done. Oh. And this is a book that's all written the entire stories in letters. Have you ever read a book that it was just letters? No. It's a fascinating the style. The Bible. The Bible. <laughs> Is that all letters? I don't know. That's not all letters. I guess the the epistles. Epistles. But it tells the entire story through letters. So you have to pick up on little things because it's different people writing back and forth. And some of them are telegrams. But there's no storyline other than what was written between. And obviously it's a novel, so it's fiction. That would be interesting. But it's based upon facts that happened. And so it's a historical novel. And it's just very well done. And I would highly recommend both the book and the movie and the audiobook. I loved all of them in different ways. So that's the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society. If you love historical fiction, if you love um, World War II, then you will, en- or reading about World War II or studying it, you will enjoy um, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society. And I'll put a link for that in the show notes. I also wanted to mention that I just finished a post on Ebates. If you are not familiar with Ebates, it is a cash back site, a site that will pay you cash back for shopping online. So if you do any online shopping, just a money-saving tip here, go sign up for Ebates and you can then shop through Ebates and you're going to get 3 to 10%. It kind of depends upon what the online store is 
back in cash, yes, cold hard cash for making online purchases. So if you're interested in how it works, in details and getting signed up, how much you can make, testimonials from um, my followers who love Ebates, who've made hundreds of dollars from Ebates, we will put a link in the show notes to my post that I just finished all about how to make money with Ebates. I'm so thrilled to be having this very important conversation today with Cal Newport. We'll be talking about social media and doing work that matters. Cal is an associate professor of computer science at Georgetown University, and he is the author of six books. The very first book I actually read in 2019 was his book, Deep Work, and I was so inspired by it that I knew I wanted to have him on the podcast to share his wisdom with you all. I'm currently reading his latest book, Digital Minimalism, and if you follow me online, you know I just can't stop talking about it. So it's such an honor to get a few minutes to chat with Cal today. Welcome to the show, Cal. Thanks for having me. In your book, Deep Work, you really encourage people to invest a chunk of their day into work that matters. Could you define for us the difference between deep work and non-deep work? So deep work are the efforts that require sustained, undistracted concentration. So you're focusing on one thing for a long period of time without even the quickest of glance at a phone or an inbox. Shallow work, by contrast, is basically everything else. And so for my listeners, many of them who are moms and they want to live very intentionally and prioritize well. But when I talked about this concept, you know, they're saying I'm juggling kids and home management and volunteering and part time or full time work. And how could a busy mom fit that deep work into her already full schedule when she has constant interruptions? Right. Well, it helps us to have the vocabulary. Right. So just recognizing that there's a difference between the undistracted blocks and the distracted blocks, now you can start thinking in terms of when can I schedule deep versus shallow. Just that vocabulary alone makes a big difference. And then beyond that, it's something that you have to try to get onto your calendar. What I found is that when people are just waiting for a good moment where there doesn't seem to be a lot going on and they're in the mood to concentrate, that doesn't happen very often. And so the people who seem to succeed more consistently doing deep work treat it like a meeting or appointment. They, they find a time to put it on their calendar. If they have overlapping child care responsibilities, it's going to be a time where they can have the kids temporarily off their hands or before the kids get up or whatever it happens to be. But it's something that they have to schedule in advance and to take seriously and to protect. And could you give us an example like for a mom who's listening and she's saying, I don't know. I mean, am I doing deep work when I'm sitting and having a really heart-to-heart conversation with my kids? Or is that not deep work? Is deep work only that I'm writing an essay or taking a college class? Could you kind of define what that looks like in practical terms for just like an everyday woman? Right. Well, you have what's happening explicitly in the professional endeavors of your life and then what's going on in the life outside of the sort of clear professional endeavors. And in both of these areas, depth is important. So when it's talking about efforts that are specific to a particular career, then it's usually a little bit more obvious. It's, it's work in which you're having to think hard to produce something. In life outside of work, however, depth can be just as important. Now, I sometimes use the word minimalism here instead, but where you're giving your full attention to one thing that's true to your values that type of depth outside of the professional world is just as important. So a true heart-to-heart conversation with a kid 
where you're giving them their full attention and you're not also glancing at a phone is an example of depth in the personal sphere. And it can be just as important there as it is in the professional sphere. That's so good. And I think as moms, sometimes we can lose sight of that because we think that work that matters is, you know, oh, well, I went to the office and I accomplished this today. But if you're a stay at home mom, you can feel like, well, all day long, I'm just doing dishes and laundry and wiping noses and, you know, but really sitting there and concentrating with your child or with your spouse or, you know, I think that that's so good um, to just, I just want to remind the moms that are listening that when you are doing that, when you are really putting your full attention with your kids and your husband and in relationships and things like that, that is work that matters too. So let's switch gears and talk about your newest book, Digital Minimalism, which by the way, I'm absolutely just loving so much. And I love how you define digital minimalism. And it was very encouraging to me because I was like, oh, okay, I do have a lot of this in my life, even though so much of my life is online as a blogger. But you make a strong case for living a less tethered life. And am I correct that you do not have any social media at all? That's right. I've never had an account. Okay. I'd love to hear your reasoning behind choosing not to have social media. You know, what's interesting is that it was long enough ago that I can't completely reconstruct why I didn't sign up in the first place. When I was in college and in 2004, when Facebook first arrived on our campus, I remember that. I remember choosing not to sign up. I don't remember why. But what's more interesting is because I didn't have an account, I could, as an outside observer, look at the way that these technologies change people's lives. I mean, the way that people were using social media in 2006 and 2007, 2008 is drastically different than how they were using it in 2013, 2014, 2015. And I could observe this transition happen from afar. I could observe this period in which the social media companies re-engineered their applications to try to make them something that you had to compulsively check. And it's actually the source of this behavior we have today where we constantly look at our phones. We think that's just fundamental to having a smartphone, but that's not the way we used to use them. The social media companies right around 2010 to 2014 trained us to use the phone that way because that made them a lot more money. And I could actually watch that, uh, watch that happen from afar and it was a sort of amazing spectacle to see. And so I just have to ask, do you ever feel like you're missing out in any way? No, because as a minimalist, you know, as a, the, the classic idea of minimalism is that uh, you're, you're more afraid of not giving enough attention to the things that you know for sure are important to you than you are on missing out on things you don't know about. You know, so I worry more about not being able to be as engaged as possible with my kids or my family, or producing work that's really impactful, or being there for my community. These things I know for a fact are incredibly important to me. I'm concerned about not giving that enough time. I'm much less concerned that there might be some other thing out there that I'm missing out. So I really love this idea. And I'm I'm one of those people who I'm such a pen and paper sort of person and I despise having a lot of apps and I deleted all of my Facebook friends so that I could just use Facebook for business a number of years ago and am just really minimal in how I use social media. But you know, so that's on the one hand, but on the other hand, much of my work online involves social media. And so I see that it can be so harmful and such a time suck and all consuming. And yet for me personally, 
There's so many beautiful benefits that have come from social media. I have friendships and opportunities, um, the ability to encourage people in real time through live video um, from my home, you know, instead of going and speaking to thousands and thousands of people and having to travel, I can do that from my home. And the other thing that I'm really passionate about is helping people to feel seen. And so I answer, even though I get hundreds of messages every day, I answer them personally because I want people to feel seen and that they have value. So that's a passion of mine. But so a, a big part of our income also is a direct result of social media. And so I'd love for you to just speak to me as someone who I'm not going to give up social media, but I also... I find the idea of digital minimalism appealing. Right. Well, you're you're not alone in that. So last year when I took 1,600 people and I took them through a, this 30-day declutter process I talk about in the book to minimize their digital life, I would say about 50% of those who sent me reports maintain social media after going through this careful minimalism process. But what they changed was the rules of engagement for how they actually use social media, because the effect that the social media companies really deploy that try to boost their revenues is this ecosystem mindset, which is they get you into their ecosystem because there's something that they offer that is valuable to you. And it might be professional. For a lot of people, it's a personal thing. I see, you know, photos of my nieces on Instagram or something like this. Mm -hmm. And then what the social media companies want you to do is once you're in the door, once you're in the ecosystem, use it without constraint. And check it 85 times a day and feel like your entire life is fragmented. And so what I recommend in my book is if you identify here is a very important thing in my life that this social media service helps and therefore you want to keep social media in your life, ask the follow-up question, which is how and when am I going to use social media? And what I discovered with, say, 99% of the people in my experiment who kept social media, for example, took it off their phone. Hmm. The only reason to have it on their phone is so that they could check it a lot. That's good for the social media companies. But for the reasons they were using it, let's say audience engagement or looking at photos, it turned out that, hey, if I had a schedule, I use it on my computer, I check in on Tuesday and Wednesday nights or something like that, that they could get most of the benefits without most of the cost. And so this is sort of the the judo trick that a lot of digital minimalists use on social media. And they don't like the, <laughs> the companies don't like me telling this, but they ask how and when. And most people discover that they could probably get 98% of the benefits that they need from social media and maybe an hour of use per week if mm. they're careful about it. And so that's the key. So those who have to use social media in their professional life, I have this whole chapter about hanging out with social media professionals who run social media brands for major companies. Hey, turns out they're not looking at it on their phone when in line. They have very complicated setups and schedules on their desktop. They use it like a professional. People who have uses for it in their personal life they do like you did with removing your Facebook friends. They focus in on where do I get the biggest value out of these things? Okay, now how can I carefully fence in my usage to get that value without allowing the app to then suck all this other time and attention out of the rest of my life? That's so good. I love it. So I was just thinking of, for me, because I do a lot of video through um, Instagram Live and Instagram Stories, and that's a huge part of what I do online and Facebook Live, I need to have it on my phone. And reading your book, I'm thinking, I want to make sure that I'm setting up really good boundaries for that. So it's like, here is the time frame for this. And then at this point, one thing that I've been doing this year is having my phone in the basement at night when I go to bed, just because I realized that I was... Uh, before I went to bed, I was checking my phone. When I got up in the morning, I was checking my phone. And I realized that there's so much like this quiet that I love 
to know that that's not what I do right before I go to bed. And that's not what I do right when I get up in the morning. And so I just want to set up more boundaries in my life like that. And your book is really inspiring me to do that. So anyone who's listening that you're like, I, I want this, but I, I want to figure out how to, pr- how to make it practically work for my life. Definitely get a copy of Cal's book because I think it doesn't make you feel like, Oh, I have to get rid of all social media, but it gives you some tools and some steps that you can take to figure out how to make social media work for you. If that's something that is going to be in line with your priorities. As I've been talking about your book online, one of the questions that I've gotten from people, and I'm sure that this is, it's just such a hot topic right now is how to raise kids with a healthy view of social media. And we have a 14 year old and I hang out with her and her friends a lot and they are constantly on their phones. I mean, they, they are texting literally thousands of texts a day. Sometimes they text these games back and forth and they play games via text. Um, they're on social media, they're Snapchatting, they're, you know, going live. It's just such a part of their world. They don't even know, I feel like, how to exist without it. And we are trying with our daughter to figure out, okay, how do we navigate? And at this point, we've said no social media. She doesn't have internet on her phone, but I feel like we're just, we're trying to figure it out. And I'd love to hear with all of your research that you've done, you know, kind of what advice or words of wisdom do you have for parents as they guide their kids? Well, I think what you're doing, the research would say is absolutely the right thing to do to the degree that I think our culture is going to change on this in the next three or four years, where it's going to become a common assumption that a teenager does not have social media that a teenager does not have sort of unrestricted internet access on a phone with them at all times. The research coming out of the psychological or psychology literature is becoming increasingly clear that there's potentially major mental health impacts of exposing the adolescent's brain to these very powerful sources. Similarly, uh, exposing young boys to highly addictive multiplayer video games, the research is becoming clear that this is not healthy for a lot of reasons as well. And so I think our culture is going to shift to a place where we say, uh, well, 14-year-olds don't play Fortnite and 14-year-olds don't use Snapchat. Hmm. And, you know, it's it's hard. All of these things are hard. Uh, obviously, the teenagers love it, but they also kind of hate it. And this is something that I've been hearing when I've been on the road talking about this book. And it's been surprising me is the number of teenagers who are just exhausted by trying to keep up Snapchat streaks or have to be involved in all these these text conversations. And there's an increasing number of teenagers who are now stepping away from social media and smartphone use as a sign of countercultural rebellion, that now you can almost get coolness points for not using these technologies. And I think that's a good thing because I think they're actually more dangerous than we suspected. And I think looking back in the future, we're going to say, we might have got that one wrong at first and our behavior is going to change going forward. That's so interesting because just last night I was having a conversation with my daughter. She's been just kind of, I've sensed that she's been feeling a little depressed recently and I've noticed she's been on her phone more. And so I just told her, I said, honey, I think for the next three days, I'm just going to, I'm going to take your phone and I'm going to have it. And then you can have it for 30 minutes a day because I want you to be able to interact with your friends and not be completely, you know, in the dark. But at the same time, um, I just feel like it's kind of, it's you're becoming where your phone is your security blanket or you're spending too much time on it. And she looked at me and she goes, thank you so much, mom. Like, thank you for helping me. Cause she, she just, it was like this relief off of her for me to say, I'm going to come alongside you and I am going to help you with this because 
you're young and you're still trying to figure this out. And so I just encourage all the parents listening, you know, there's not one perfectly right way to do it. And we're all going to make mistakes, but talking with your teens about it, you know, setting some boundaries, helping them to set healthy boundaries so that as they get older, they can continue these boundaries and continue to have a healthy relationship with their phones, with texting, with social media. Thank you so much, Cal, for coming on today and for sharing your wisdom. I'm so excited for my audience to get to um, just hear this from you, this really important message. And I just want to encourage everyone to go check out your book, um, especially Deep Work and um, then Digital Minimalism. And I also just got so good. They can't ignore you. I think that's the title. And I'm super excited to um, read that as well. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed this. And, and sort of, I guess my the summary of my message is a life where technology is being used to boost the things you really care about and really love is a much better life than one in which technology is distracting you and keeping you away from those things. So good. Such good closing thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. This week's question comes from Nola. Nola asked a very simple question that I'm excited for Jesse and I to dive into. It was just, what's your easiest tip? for saving money. I feel like there's so many angles that we could take with this. What popped into my mind is where I always tell people to start, and that is with your grocery budget. Because everyone needs to eat, everyone needs to buy groceries. And so if you can work on shaving a little bit off your grocery budget every single month over time, that can add up to a lot of savings. And there's so many different ways that you can cut your grocery bill. On MoneySavingMom.com, one of my passions is to help you to spend less on groceries. And so not only do I chronicle my $70 weekly grocery budget and what we buy and what we eat, but also lots and lots of tips for ways to save money on groceries. And I just encourage people to not try to overhaul your grocery budget overnight and you know cut it by 50%, but challenge yourself to say, okay, every month we're going to focus on one little area and we're going to shave it by one to 3%. And that won't feel like a lot at first, but over time, if you shave one to 3% off and one to 3% off and one to 3% off every single month in 10 months, that's a lot of savings. And you haven't felt like it was this exhausting, overwhelming thing to do. And I thought about saving more for a long-term savings goal, and we generally set savings goals um, throughout the year. And what I like to do is take the money that I've budgeted each month. And if I've saved and or if I've spent less money throughout the month, kind of skim off each budget category and dump into that savings bucket. And you do that for every little category that you're, that you're spending out of and you'll be meeting your goal in no time. But always have a goal that you're saving for so that you have a purpose for saving money. Just don't save money for saving money's sake because you want to go somewhere with it. You want to put feet to your money. And I think it keeps you motivated and inspired when it's not just like, oh, we just want to spend as little as we can spend because we're misers, but because we have this end goal that we're aiming toward 
as a family, working right. together as a couple, um, or just individually, you know, you have these big goals. And I was also thinking for people who don't, you know, you were talking about the di- different categories, but kind of square one is you need to have a budget. From the get-go, correct. Because a lot of people don't even know how much money they're spending. So you wouldn't even know if you're saving money. So like on your grocery budget, if you don't know how much you're spending on groceries, you're not going to know if you're saving any money by doing different things money saving tactics. So start with a budget. That's the number one key. If you want to save money, you need to know where your money is going and you need to be intentionally telling it where to go and what to do and prioritizing how you're going to spend your money. Or otherwise, it's just going to slip through your fingers like sand and you're not going to have anything to show for all the money that you've made. You just know that you need to figure out how to save or make more money because it's not working. Right. And the way that you want to get going with budgeting is to save every month the average or set aside, not save, set aside every month the average of what you've spent for, say, the last three to six months in that particular area. And that's a good starting point. And I think we've talked about YNAB and you need a budget on previous episodes, but we recommend you either have that or some other type of budgeting software or even makes it so easy to do. You need, you need to have some sort of system. They could even just be pen and paper. I mean, we had a just pen and paper spreadsheet for the for longest, longest time, time. because Google we couldn't sheets. have, you know, it, do what works for you, but you need to have some sort of system and then have a plan and then work the plan. Yep. Because otherwise you're not going to be saving money. That's it's just that's just the way it is. Budgeting 101, you need a budget. If you have a question on any topic you'd love for us to answer on a future episode, or you just have any feedback or suggestions or thoughts on the show, I love to get your emails. Every week, your emails about the podcast just mean so much to me, and I always share them with Jesse, and it just blesses us to know that you're listening. So thank you so much. You can shoot an email to us if you'd like to contact us at crystal at moneysavingmom.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode of The Crystal Pain Show. Have a great week. And remember, you can't always choose your circumstances, but you can always choose your attitude. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com. 